Hi, everybody. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we're here for the second part of Trek No Babble's podcast. Uh, first, we did In Purgatory Shadow, and now we're doing the conclusion by Inferno's Light. Um, this is the second part of one of these mid-season two-parters, which seem to have become a thing for Deep Space Nine, and a pretty good thing, actually. Uh, most of them have been pretty decent, with the possible exception of the time travel one. Um, and even that had its charm. Uh, you know, but this one, of course, uh, is kicking off, finally, after long last, uh, the Divin- Dominion Invasion. Um, and when we last... Uh, left our intrepid crew. Uh, some of them were stuck on a prison planet. The others were awaiting the invasion. Um, you know, the, the episode ended, what, on a shot of the fleet coming through the wormhole? Yep. So, um, you know, why don't we just dive right in because they're going to recap it anyway. That's true. Are you, are you ready? I'm queued up. Okay. So we'll press play together in three, two, one, press play. Um, it's always hard to know, podcast a recap. There's really, especially since we did a podcast of the last episode. I mean, what is there uh, really to talk about? Uh, I will say I was really excited for this episode when I when I first watched it. I was on the edge of my seat the entire week uh, waiting for this conclusion because so much was happening Uh or going to be happening. So I was definitely, I was definitely eager to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, whatever, um, you know, caveats I had in my praise for the first part, uh, it was exciting. Um, you know, either way, anyway, you slice it, it was exciting. Um, you know, and with this recap, they're setting up some of the story threads here, especially the Ducat thread, which, you know, now that, I mean, we've seen this already, but initially it, it really was sort of a uh, out of left field development. Uh, but they actually did a pretty decent job of foreshadowing it with that clip um, of Ducat talking to Zial. Uh, something else I like, um, I said this in my review, my written review. I like that they uh, brought Martok back because I think it indicates that even as they are now at last moving forward with the Dominion plot, they're not going to abandon the earlier plot threads. I think had they just forgotten the Klingon war, that would have been stupid. So bringing sure. real Martok back, it's like, oh my God, we're, go- we're going to combine stuff. All right. So the fleet is still coming through the wormhole. Uh, we've got the Defiant with Kira in command, which seems kind of unusual. I mean, it is a Starfleet ship with a Romulan cloaking device, and I don't know. Eh, I mean, I'm trying to think if they've done it before. Uh, that's so cute. They brought out the runabouts. Like, really? Yeah. It, it really just, you know... Highlights the so, lack of actual other starships defending the station, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's going to be some dialogue up here that, again, you know, underlines that point. Uh, I'll point it out when we get to it. You know, I think they're trying to intimidate us. It's working. It. I will say, you know, this has begun one of these recurring things that's going to happen uh, for several seasons uh, where the battle is DS9, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, it's a stationary thing. <laughs> and you've got ships that move. You can just go around it. You know, well, I, I think uh, I think that's part of a sort of a general mushiness in translating two dimensional or, you know, more two dimensional battles on land or even, you know, in sea on sea or something to space. It never yeah, quite the idea of having a fort or something. Right. Like it can't possibly unless this was the only way through this area of space, you could just go around it. And that actually would have been a fun parallel. Like Starfleet ships are more like, you know. 16th or 17th century uh, naval bases and ships where, yes, the immediate vicinity of your location you can protect, but the space around it 
is navigable and if you want to go the long way you easily can um i want to get back to this plot development because in the teaser they had already blown my mind uh ducat secretly negotiating joining the dominion holy shit i was floor okay i'll say this i did not see that coming uh, like and I love the foreshadowing that they laid in the first half. Yeah, but, but I, they certainly did not. They did not tip it. their hand. Oh, like oh, it, it gave me chills. It gives me chills now. It's just like ooh, it's so interesting. And again, one of the other plot threads was the uh, collapse of the Cardassian military government, the rise of a civilian government, Dukat leading his private war against the Klingons. Yeah. So in the first five minutes of this episode, that's ostensibly going to be about a forthcoming Dominion invasion. Not only have we, it's like a sucker punch. Like the hey, there's a Starfleet ship. Yeah, hey, uh, maybe it's the Phoenix. They could all they could help blow up Cardassians. Um, no, but I agree totally. Um, you know, it it's the kind of writing, with the exception of the fleet being in the Laurentian system or something. Um, it's the kind of writing that rewards you. You know, it makes you feel good that you've paid attention so far. Um, you know, although. If you were coming to the show right now, you know, it's not so impenetrable that you can't uh, follow what's going along. Yeah. But yeah, picking up the Klingon thread, picking up the Cardassian thread, and the developments make sense, you know. Uh, It made sense that a government that collapsed would find someone willing to turn his government into a rump state, you know. I mean, it's very World War II in a way, right? I was thinking it was even very Roman, like, you know, some, you know, general cuts a deal and marches into Rome and the Senate are like, oh, well, then, okay, we guess you do have the army. Um, so, yeah. Well, that, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. like a Quisling type yeah. situation. Yeah. Uh, like in Scandinavia, you know, when the guy named Quisling uh, became the prime minister for a Nazi-run state. Yeah. Um, that's essentially what he's doing. Okay, so back to the internment camp. I like that they've got Romulans here because, of course, that harks back to the fact that it was a joint Romulan-Cardassian fleet. I I like this episode a lot, but I kind of have an issue with an enemy as competent as the Jem'Hadar. Yeah, like, well, it's it, it's very great escape. It's like why 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 would they leave functioning electronics with even like tangential ability to send a subspace signal in a pri- in, in access to a prison cell? N- don't get me wrong. It's the twenty fourth century. They've got sensors. They certainly have video cameras that they could just put in the freaking cell. Yeah. And yeah, can't they search for giant tools that people are under their mattress? Why not just make people sleep on the floor for crying out loud? I mean, that being said, they have to escape somehow. One escape plot's as good as another. It's no less contrived than any other. In the end, though, they really just escape by, you know, sort of, killing Jem'Hadar with phasers. That's also true. Um, I I do like that they leave the runabout in orbit, unattended. Yeah. Why? Why not strip it down for parts? Why not use it to infiltrate some other station? You know, it's a, I don't know. Nonetheless. Uh, it's I like a minor this. quibble. It's it's like it's like complaining the good guys always win. What what do you want to have happen? Like I, this is a good Vorta, to, to the extent that, you know, like, the, that kind of officious bureaucrat shtick. Well, he looks like the kind of dicky Vorta that would get assigned this crappy post. Yeah. Like, he's not charming. He's just sort of a tool. But, you know, I like... It, this makes sense, too, right? It makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, as the viewer, we're like, oh, really? Is, is Derek going to get away, too? But then, of course, he he doesn't. It's good acting, um, but uh, on the guest, I, I like the actor portraying this Vorta. He's just yeah. <laughs> not a very popular one, I'm afraid. Yeah, really nice line reading. Like this is the, the like that's the Dick Warden in every prison movie ever. So, this Vista. I mean, it's a pretty I, clear... I like the idea, kind of, but they just... It's like, are these the only five people on Cardassia that are watching these 
fucking gigantic TV screens. Yeah, they would. They they needed to cut and paste that to make that a crowd. Otherwise, it was fine. Yeah. Um, I think it's so the I, same. You know, the architecture is interesting. Yeah, it's I the same shots I think from uh, Tribunal when uh they were transmitting uh yeah O'Brien's trial. Uh, Mark Alamo, you could read me the phone book. It's just, it's such a good speech. It has that. The writers did a good job with it, and he did a good job delivering it. It has that, like, if the Cardassians were eventually actually successful, that's the speech that, you know, would make it into history books and that, you know, children would have to memorize for school projects. Yeah. Like, it has that that It's got a Hitler-Mussolini kind of thing. Yeah, oh yeah, it's like... I'm thinking of Rome again. You could just tag, and Carthage should be destroyed. You could just... It just... It, it, it has that grandeur and it's i mean it's as much the acting as the writing but i really like it i like how transmissions in this universe always end with the logo no matter who's making the transmission yeah and going back to that earlier scene in the teaser just even that line like you and me on the same side major it never felt quite right did it yeah and it's it's like he's acknowledges their previous and he's mocking her a little for her attitude about uh, Zial's relationship with uh, with Garrick, too, I think. Like, there's something like, like if the, if you wanted me as an adversary, well, now you have me again. And I, 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 there's a lot of depth there, and that's a lot of fun. I gotta say, I really don't like this idea that not only did the sabotage not destroy the wormhole, it, but it prevents made it stronger. You know, in the, I thought about that, because on the one hand, it is very convenient but on the other hand, I'm glad it shut down this plot device because if we had to have a conversation about whether to collapse the entrance to the wormhole once every like two weeks for the rest of the series, I would get bored. You know, they could have just had the theory be wrong. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that would have been more interesting than having him sabotage it. Because of course they've already mentioned that it's basically impossible to destroy wormhole in uh, the price in TNG. So yeah, here's this story idea. Um, Garrick is finishing the work of an Auburn Tame at how he got up there with his corpulence is a question. <laughs> um, plus his frailty. Uh, I mean, it, it says something interesting about the character, you know, its resourcefulness. But, I mean, all this stuff, it's like, do Jem'Hadar not know how to count? Like, they've made a specific point of putting Garrick in this prison. <laughs> Don't they notice that the one Cardassian is not present anymore? Yeah. it. You know, like I said, it, it's one of those, they're going to escape somehow... I've yet to meet the prison escape movie that, I mean, like, why not check behind the Raquel Welch poster once in 20 yeah. years? I mean, really? like. Well, but there are ways to write it that make it more, uh, give it more verisimilitude. Anyway, we can we can move beyond that. Yeah. Uh, love the Wharf story here. This episode, to me, is the one time when hand-to-hand combat was cool in star trek and there have been other klingon episodes where there have been like duels and stuff but many of them were kind of sidetracked or sabotaged by various plot developments here it's just you know we're gonna fight you because that's what we do and that's what you do and we'll see who wins you know like there there was no deus ex machina there was no well, uh, I, I, except you know, for the Deus Ex Machina right at the end, but I take your point. Um, well, something else I liked about the style of fighting, um, it's clear that they choreographed it, obviously, because these two actors weren't actually trying to kill each other, but it felt the least dancey. That It's something that kind of nags me more so in um, like period pieces in which sword fighting is depicted as like everyone is this elegant, nimble yeah. fencer. It's like, no, you got up in tight quarters and tried to gut them with your big sword before they did the same to you. It was not pretty. It was fairly brutal. Yeah, it's and, supposed to be rough. Right. It's supposed to be ragged, not yeah, beautifully choreographed. Right. Not it's not so I, yeah, I like that he never is doing like mock bara or something. The 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 little weird like 
hand gesture the Jemadar is as close as we get. But no, it, it felt, and, and it's it's partly just the the size of the actors and the. It, it felt very physical. Yeah, Dorn seems to have lost weight recently because here he is pretty buff. I, I think say. I think it's that they stopped padding him, because uh, like he was never as bulky as Worf. They were that was clearly like a you know a little shaping under the uniform. I think under but do you this think one, this is padding? This looks pretty good. No, I'm saying that might just be him. Whereas I think like seasons three like like because you remember like season one and two michael dorn he was practically scrawny like when before they let his hair grow out he was skinny almost and mm. i think the a lot of the wharf bulk was because i and i remember there i think there's a scene from like a behind the scenes of first contact or something where you see him with like the you know looks like kevlar it looks like a bulletproof vest he's wearing under his uniform jacket so that might just be him in well, the but in having the... met dorn uh, around the time of first contact I remember him being uh, pretty built, hmm. you know, but I, in recent videos I've seen of him, he looks almost gaunt. I don't, I don't know if he's on a diet or what. Anyhow, so we're also getting this claustrophobia thread. Um, never been mentioned before, but I don't hate it. Yeah, yeah. It's not something he would mention. Anyhow, this, um, this fighting... I, I, I kind of don't get the the doodad, the light thing. Yeah, that you gotta touch. I, I did like that the minute he hit it, Worf punched him again. I think it. Yeah, <laughs> it's all, like when it's like this is a fight to the death, but I'm gonna let you get up so we can like reset ourselves, like the, for the end scene of the Karate Kid. Like, no, I'm gonna hit you again. Well, yeah, it's interesting that you can just stand over a guy while he's touching the light and then wail on him again. Um, so apparently it is more of a deathmatch kind of thing. Um, it, it's just, it's one of the first times that Trek Fu has looked good. And it, it does, I have to say, call into question all future and past instances in which anybody but Worf has cold-cocked a Jem'Hadar. You know? Yeah, like took, I get that. It took Worf that much to, you know, take out their weakest one. <laughs> Yeah, well, also, it felt like there were stakes here. Like, this wasn't a throwaway, they beam onto the bridge, shoot Worf, get shot, the end. Like, it felt, especially with the idea that this would just keep happening with no other point. It's not like they were fighting for their freedom, they were just fighting. It's it's like a version of hell. Like, so there, the, I, I think as much the, the plot service around the fight helped do, like, even the, the choreography, the, the murky shadows, that kind of, pale gray blue that pervades everything it's everything served the fight rather than having a cheap throwaway moment so here come the klingons there's a weird blotch yeah i've seen that too are you watching the dvd or netflix dvd okay then then it's just on the dvd yeah that's just on the original then because i noticed presumably if they redo it on blu-ray though uh, yeah i assume it's just a piece of dust on the the composite yeah so yeah like like with the foreshadowing of you know discovering martok we are going to pick up the klingon thread and who doesn't like to see robert o'reilly and his bug eyes i sure. i never had don't have a good time and i like <laughs> that he's injured it's not a you know it's like okay it's a it's a it's a subtle way as any to telegraph the severity of the situation yeah, must have been a fireworks injury on the bridge. Yeah, I, I will say the idea, it, as much as they, it, it, one of the ways they get space geography wrong is that, like, somehow for the Klingons, the Romulans, the Cardassians, the Federation, like, every, from every point A to every point B, somehow they can go by DS9. And that yeah, apparently it all radiates from this point, yet no yeah. one has put a fucking ship here. Or, like, uh, there's like a Klingon Federation neutral zone, a Cl- Federation Romulan neutral zone, and a separate Klingon Romulan border. And I'm like, how many borders do you people have? How can you have borders in space? It's like two clouds having a border. I mean, it irritates me that Gowron puts his thumb on the text of that pad. Oh, was that? I, I didn't catch that. Was that just a. I assume he's affixing his thumb to the <laughs> this pad to indicate that. Oh, treaty's on again, you know. Uh, but it always just irritated me that he used the prop that way. Yeah. It feels like there should be a thumbprint port or something. And there should be a... 
we really lost we we missed out on our callings on being like continuity nerds on set i'm just picturing us walking around with like thick glasses and pocket protectors and like early wikipedia i'm sorry you didn't you didn't push the right button on the hypo spray that's for hyronolin not cordrazine clearly in in episode f304 you pressed the red button and now you're pressing you you hit itchy's ribs itchy's rib (laughs) twice yet produced two distinctly different notes of the xylophone like (laughs) Yeah, and so the doctor. A couple of the acting doctor. choices of like doing something, then meaningfully staring off to nowhere, feels like an odd thing for a changeling to do. Okay, they've done that move before the Jem'Hadar that like I'm I'm like crushing your heart with my <laughs> hand or something. So it doesn't bother me because they have established it actually does something. I don't know what. Is it like tasering someone? Like, but at least it's consistent. So again, easily the best fight choreography we've seen well, he in looks this series. Busted up. And this is something I think they couldn't have gotten away with in TNG. Like, Worf gets progressively visibly injured in a like really painful way that I don't think you could get away with on next gen. I think like the injuries were always more single, like scorch marks from phasers, maybe a cut, but not like like you really start to get it's it's a intensity that next gen just didn't allow itself in in its storytelling i think yeah i like this uh uniform shirt it's a good look um i almost kind of wish they'd gone with the shirt without the jacket well like i said my i've i i like many of the uniforms i've always appreciated the first contact uh uniform for actually feeling like the uniform of a quasi-military organization as opposed to space pajamas which don't get me wrong i love me some space pajamas but this felt like an outfit grown-ups would wear to look like grown-ups you know and that i think this one lent itself much more readily to all the layering they like to do especially for captains captains have special vests and this one just felt more appropriate for that kind because it's a jacket over a zip-up shirt so like the layers felt like it made more sense rather than i didn't dislike it anywhere near to the level you did but patrick stewart's uh mauve get up yeah so we're getting another mention of uh zenkath i actually i have to say the the zenkath were one of the species treated in the books exactly the way they should be in a way they couldn't have been done on television they're they're depicted as like these multi-legged people who can control gravity fields so they use all six sides of a room like it was the floor and have no trouble bouncing around them and that, that was just really cool little little side trip into the books there andrew robinson does as well as he can with that soliloquy i don't love it um so the doctor puts his jacket on him and says that's the best i can do what can he do he's got nothing did he massage him i'm assuming they were tearing strips off blankets to make bandages how do you bandage broken ribs i mean i guess you're trying to keep him immobile or something yeah Yeah, I mean, Garrick's claustrophobia is the, like, artificial... It, it, it's the thing to... It's the it's like, the We need to make this more dramatic. Right, and more difficult. Uh, I'll say at least they, they picked it up again. You know, like, uh, there's a couple of fun... I think really good episodes in uh, Season 7 that uh, pick up the threat of Garrick's claustrophobia. So at least they don't forget it. This doesn't seem that claustrophobic if... Bashir can get in there with him. But they had made it look like he had climbed up this weird little chute, but now it looks like his feet are on the ground. I'll say this, Andrew Robinson has an excellent thousand yard stare. Sure. Definitely. Like I'm looking at it, I'm a little creeped out. He did a good job of not blinking the entire time. Yeah, too. that was a see c- the way some of those ships are moving bugs me. Yeah, it, we're not there yet. You know, it's one of those like we're we're almost there in terms of the ability to have a really fully realized depth of three dimensional field with a moving camera. 
we're not there yet. But, you know, they did what they could. All right, finally, Starfleet's four light years away. Good thing the Dominion is doing nothing. They could have taken the station already. So this thread, you know, finding the changeling, they kind of really skipped it. They didn't do much with it. And, you know, he talks about assigning Klingons to station security, and they kind of skipped that, too. That So one of the uh, comments in Memory Alpha that I think it was Iris Stephen Bear made was that this story was kind of going like a mile a minute and they rushed past a lot of things. And I guess I can see that. I mean, I like the wharf stuff so much that I yeah. kind of don't care. And we get good moments in here. Like this conversation is awesome. Yeah. It's interesting that Ducat tries to give him an out. And you wonder if it really is based on some sort of feeling or if he has some ulterior motive. Well, I'm sure if the Federation actually, I, I don't. Yeah, I wonder. He could take it without a fight. I suppose that's better than. Yeah, him. yeah, they're not Klingons. They don't. They don't need to win the bat. Win a battle to you know feel validated. I like what they did later, showing that this really was a puppet state and that there was friction. Oh God. If there, yeah. <laughs> as much as any pairing on Star Trek ever, uh, Dukat and Wayun was genius. And, you know, by uh, CBS should send both of those gentlemen, a muffin basket for some a class work. Um, well, what, I, what I'm getting at is right now, it just seems like Dukat's too much in charge. You know, is he using dominion ships? to do this is he using dominion ships to restore all that was cardassios yeah i could i mean it's a pretty tight close-up there could be a vorta standing on either side of him well sure but why not show it i mean it i i have trouble believing that dominion who has been portrayed thus far as being so uh, monolithically in control uh would well, why, allow dick ducat such latitude why tip the, i mean why tip troops. the hand like it showing early that the Dominion's really in charge both destabilizes Ducat's position and tells that to the Federation that oh Duc like the Cardassia's perception of its power is the weak point in this. Oh, I yeah. I agree that there's there's rationale for them to appear that way to the Federation, but we're the viewers, we're not the Federation. I don't know. I just like that thing so much that it's too bad they don't get to it now. Yeah. And we've got Martok being all Klingon about it. We've given up the ghost about caring about Klingon blood, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. It, the pink thing was... It was foolish. Like, green was interesting, but pink was... I mean, don't pick the color of Pepto-Bismol. Make it purple. You know? <laughs> Make it yellow. Actually, I think... Uh... There's a couple of sea creatures that have, uh, I think, yellow, yellow blood. They eventually uh, depicted Andorian blood as blue in well, Enterprise. Obviously. <laughs> Naturally. There's not a single line that falls out of Martok's mouth that couldn't have been written by Shakespeare. <laughs> Like if it if it rhymed and you know had a little bit more of a meter, it would not feel out of place. Oh, those background ships just bug me so much. Hey, at least they have them. Oh yeah, like I'm I'm pleased on the one hand. I just wish the effect were so much better. I'll say if they do the if they given the amount of stuff, I imagine they'll have to redo from scratch. Should they do a? A remaster that would be a perfect one to uh to redo oh well it should be easy these days with modern cg 
I, I got to think if they're going to spend the time to do modern CG on Deep Space Nine, it's going to be for some of the Dominion War stuff. The later effects get a lot better. Yeah. My only so problem with can... the later effects in the Dominion War is it's clear there's a lot of reuse. Like in the Battle of Cardassia in the, in the finale, it's clear, like, we're just reusing several sets of shots. I could, I could tell you the episodes they came from. And as an avid viewer, I'm like, well, don't do that. Give me new stuff. I want more stuff. Yeah. So this is an interesting interlude. It Part of my thing about the Zial storyline is it's just kind of superfluous. You know, it feels like it should be in its own episode, not as an interlude in these two episodes. Like, it, it makes sense now, Ducat trying to bring Zial with him, but all these additional scenes of Zial, like, continuing with her life. <laughs> and this is like, well, we got to put Quirk in somehow. I don't mind. It's a good scene. It's a, it's a good line. That line always cracks me up. Yeah. And, you know, again, it just underscores that Quirk is an opportunist. And now, one episode and 30 minutes in, the Federation has finally arrived. They're doing something with Worf's makeup. He looks, I, I don't know what the Klingon equivalent of Ashen is, but he looks it. Like, yeah. he doesn't look well. And uh, that, that that can't be easy to, to depict. I have to say, I like mo more the work on the appliances for the Jem'Hadar in this episode. They they have distinct facial features. Everyone can emote. Yeah, and I wasn't uh, one of these, the guy who played Omedeclan. Yeah, I think... Uh, I know one of the guys is uh, Joe Brill. I think it's this guy. I think the guy Worf's fighting now. James Horan, Horan. yeah. Yes, he was Joe Brill in Suspicions. Um, he also played Future Guy in Enterprise. It's really sad that <laughs> we have to call him Future Guy. Uh, the less said about the Temporal Cold War. Well, there will be plenty to say about it. Well, see, yeah, the, all this fighting... Normally, Trek Fu has a kind of... Like it, it feels bloodless quality, well, it, and it still feel it always feels like they were just maybe in a slightly smaller dancing space, imitating the the Trek Fu established in the original series with like the karate chop and like all of that. That felt like bone crunching, like yeah. like yeah. It, like it hurt. See, like that, that should have like cracked his skull wide open if it were a real hit, and that just has a kind of. I'm just backhanding you because the script says to back, and I'm not saying I really want to see uh, Alexander Siddig's like temple burst open on TV. It's you know it's on during the day. Kids might be watching, but you know uh, the fight with Worf, and maybe that's it's where the setting really helps. Uh, the, like the murky shadows, the quick. Well, cuts. they have room for the cameras to do better moves too. Yeah, a lot of Trek Fu is usually in these like corridors and stuff. Explain this thing we should have found six months ago. Like, don't they just turn over the beds every once in a while? Oh, he'd like to think. So, they've kind of just... It's been like too much build-up. <laughs> it's like 32 minutes in. They should have been fighting this war like 20 minutes ago. For, well, for I, actually, I actually kind of like that. It... it... Uh, there's a lot of build-up and, and another fake-out by the end of the episode, which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, we'll, we'll discuss it, you know, as appropriate. Um, but I, I, I like the, the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the uh, pass-fake here. Um, and so fake Bashir has commandeered 
one of the runabouts. Oh no, a large tachyon buildup. And so we see the Romulans. Um, again, very cut and pasty looking effect. And I, I'm pretty sure the Romulan ships are like that. That layer of effects was straight out of um, uh, improbable cause. Requesting permission to join the fleet. <laughs> Is there any coordination that needs to take place? Is it not being performed by Cisco? Uh... Yeah, anyhow, the, the eventual fake out that we see, uh, it, it is worthwhile. You know, it was very Dominion y, you know, in keeping with some of their prior moves, you know, trying to manipulate an unforeseen, you know, sort of circumstance. I like the look of the, the lead gem Hadar. It's like, it's something about like the forehead nose bridge that just looks different. One of the things that really helps these fight scenes is the way that they cut quickly to them. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of jarring. See, he does not touch the thing here. Or he, there are several times when he doesn't touch the thing after being knocked down, but then they keep fighting. It's like, don't set up the rule if, if you're, yeah, you're going to break it. Uh, it's also like, I, I didn't quite understand, like, was this necessarily to the death? Like, if War he seemed to imply that Worf stay down, Honor's been satisfied. If Worf just stayed down, would they just kill him? Or would the fight just stop? That yeah. was a little unclear to me. Part of the suspense here of them finding their little hole eventually ends up not being uh, very believable. And it's the fact that, you know, he looks up and he's like, what do you see? Nothing. It's like, don't you see the place where someone climbed up? Or shouldn't you have, like, gotten a tricorder? Yeah. That was neat how they both shot each other at the same time. That was grisly and for Star Trek. We, yeah, we find out that the tool is also a shiv. No, no, that was a knife. That was just dropped by one of the guards. That was that was just a straight-up knife. Oh, that was one of their knives. Yeah. I see. Never turn your back on a Breen. I like that line a lot. Do they not detect weapons fire? I, I don't know. Seems like a very poorly run prison. Well, maybe they're lazy in their complacency. Okay, how do we feel about this Jem'Hadar's action? I, we've we've been given enough pieces uh, in previous episodes to indicate the Jem'Hadar are not automatons, they are not unsentient, they are not blindly fought. Like there are layers to their obedience. So I don't I don't think this this isn't this is not out of step with say the character work established in uh, Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Or um, to the death. Uh, to the death. Yeah. Yeah. It, this feels uh, very. I, I like it. It it didn't strike me as uh, weird or uh, artificial. It, I like because, like you said, it fits with especially Omedicon and Hipp Hippocratic Oath. I'm surprised that they would shoot them both. Well, you know? I, that that, that so fits. It, make, it makes it seem like it's only him that has this sense of honor that's been awakened well i i think the uh they uh, want to advance i mean what's the difference? Oh no, like uh the, the scene into the death when he kills the second who was his second for many years blah 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 yeah <laughs> this part of the escape is probably the least credible like really a runabout just left yeah and then they get through the wormhole, and they're back. Hi, everybody. Eh. And the notion that 
they could fake all these warp signatures. Yeah. It's it's like there's so many ships in the area. Don't you think anybody would look out a window, use their view screen, be in range? Well, they're using their views. They can't find. He's saying, yeah, there are warp signatures, but no ships to match. Well, that's what I'm saying. Shouldn't anybody notice the fact that there are no ships visible? Well, I'm saying I'm saying that's what O'Brien is saying. Like he's detecting the warp signatures, but they don't see them, and that, like that's the dialogue that they can't confirm the targets that should be there. You know, and they like. The Dominion left this communication relay. That seems like the first thing you would destroy. Yeah. Runabout Patty was unsecured to the point that the computer knew that Bashir was going there and didn't make a note of it for anybody. Here is a huge barrel of fish that is left completely unutilized later on. If the Dominion has the capability of destroying suns in order to subjugate systems, why don't they ever do it again? Well, we, we have a couple of, I mean, Dr. Timison's device was capable of uh, inadvertently. Oh no, I'm not saying that I, it's not that it, it drives me to incredulity as far as the ability to do it. I, I mean, I think they treat it a little glibly. I think the idea of destroying a sun with any device that a humanoid could build is a little bit far-fetched, but I'm willing to go with that. Uh, my problem is that they're capable of doing it here and never try it again. Like, they're capable of doing it with materials that Bashir had available to him and could put in a runabout. Yeah, it does. It's like why? Why was Doctor Soren's advancement never like the preeminent weapons design of its generation? Because seriously, though, yeah. I wonder if that's like one of those even on galactic scales. Like, I mean, I suppose on the one hand, the Dominion really wouldn't have a problem destroying whole star systems. That would just not bother them. I suppose the way it would say the Klingons, the Romulans, even the or the Cardassians, even it would be like destroying an entire star system would you know you know rob you of resources, blah blah blah. But if you destroy one in order to cow the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like this twist. I like that the Dominion invasion has finally happened, and it has taken a more complicated version than anyone expected. I, I think that's one of the greatest things about this episode. It was straight up shocking. Like, Yeah, I, I like the fact that it ends with the Klingon Federation Romulan Alliance, you know? I really think they should have kissed on the mouth here. I, I, I feel like they built up so much of this romance and love thing, and it's just so sexless. Mm. They should just do it. Bashir's just kind of like, yep, back at work. <laughs> no trauma, no, no stress, you know. I mean, he's been away for a month. He's been in prison for a month. You know? I feel like he should be seeing a counselor, which, of course, they don't have. Yeah. So. Counselor Del Nori. Yeah. I like the button about uh, Worf's opera collection. Well, now at least there's something. There's there's a, a permanent Klingon military presence. Since Starfleet, yeah, this this was what irritated me. It's like, so the Klingons recognize the strategic necessity. Yeah, the Federation, the Federation will like, not eh, until the whatever. middle of season six. It's the first thing Cisco says when they retake the station. We are now the base of the seventh fleet. Should have been the home of the first or sixth fleets. Maybe the war wouldn't have started. Sorry, it's just yeah, it is a problem. I appreciate it. I have decided to let it go so it stops interfering in my enjoyment. And we established that Cisco is, uh, or not Cisco, but Martok is going to be a recurring character. 
I like the mention of proto matter. Of course, it harks back to Star Trek Two. And I think they also said trilithium, which harkens back to generations. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, she's no longer my daughter. That didn't seem to be the way you left it with her. (laughs) Well, he did leave her on the station knowing what would happen. You know, stay and be damned. Well, he meant that literally, I guess. I guess. I mean, not the first parent, not the first parent to rashly declare dead to me. Uh, and maybe not mean it, or maybe regret it later. I mean, that's not... Well, he just swings back and forth so violently. Uh, one thing yeah. I'm really happy about the structure of this episode is it puts Dukat back where I think he is most interesting, the face of evil Cardassia. Maybe not all Cardassia, there's they're certainly a complicated society, but... I enjoy him as Nemesis because he's so good at it. Yeah, he is really good at it, but I kind of like the Ducat as more, more. semi-hero that no one trusts. It was know. fun. I'm not saying it wasn't. Uh, but I, well, I, they, didn't, they didn't do much with it, so it, it is for the best that he you know, graduates back to the role that... And, and, and it's not that they for. drop that semi-hero thread. In Ducat's head... He is a hero, and he desperately wants everyone to believe it. So I actually, you know, I, I think they do enough with it um, in the later seasons that I'm not not overly bothered. Um, so getting down to, to nuts and bolts, in terms of writing, I am pleased that this episode delivers and then some on all of the plot elements set up in the first part. It is a satisfying conclusion to the two-parter. I was promised that things would happen... And things did happen, and none of them were Klingon Tai Chi. Well, and it was satisfying in that it either closed or resurrected or continued a bunch of prior threads from the past two seasons, you know, in the interminable buildup to <laughs> finally, you know, they've been on the pot for a long time, and finally, you know, they've taken the shift, and, you know, it was pretty satisfying. Yeah, when you get right down to it, if you lo- if you hacked off the first two seasons, save a handful of episodes like Duet and Jem'Hadar, and just start at season three, and then maybe skip the back half a season, like, like, yeah, had this all been compressed by about a season, it would have been nigh on flawless. Like, if, if the people in charge, if Rick Berman made a mistake in terms of Deep Space Nine, it was keeping more and bare on the leash for so long once they were given the freedom to do complicated multi-part arc storytelling they deliver well you know it's like berman and or studio heads were trying to replicate the success of tng uh using an inherently different animal you know it's just having one location just does not lend itself to episodic you know, completely self-contained stories. Um, and it it's indicative of their kind of really lack of understanding of their fan base, um, you know, that they thought it was necessary somehow uh, to keep stories separate from each other. You know, it's like you have probably the single most dedicated fan base in the world that's going to watch and rewatch and rewatch the episodes and know what's going on. You can tell a four part story, a five part story, a 10 part story, you know, the notion that some random person is going to like tune into WGN, see this on TV and go, Oh yeah, I should watch this. Oh wait, I don't know what's going on. I'm stopping watching it. No, they, they would have stopped watching it once they saw the bumpy forehead, you know? Yeah. Well, that's that's always been Star Trek's problem. And I, I, there are a handful of Voyager promos that articulate that for me, where you you advertised in a, a literally different episode because you were trying to draw in, like I guess the masses, a casual viewer, right? The casual viewer is going to stop when he hears it's Star Trek because it has a rep deserved or otherwise, and all you're doing is pissing off your fans. When you advertise yeah. Elogium as a who's the daddy soap opera plot. That's insulting to, like, everyone and everything. Like, yeah, so... I, I I have enough faith to believe it wasn't Berman. Maybe maybe Berman 
yielded too easily to the other voices in the studio with those concerns. I think he cares enough about and understood Star Trek sufficiently to not do that. But I, yeah, I understand it's a syndicated show. You need to sell the syndicated show. But anyone, it's like X-Files. Like anyone who sits down to watch the X-Files knows vaguely enough about what the X-Files is to not be bothered by the things that make it the X-Files. So, so don't be afraid to do them. Yeah. Like the problem with the X-Files was the fact that it was an incredibly elaborate serialized story that stopped making sense. Um, but that's a, a discussion for another day. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there were a few artificialities. I think the prison break plot strained credulity a tad. Um, overall. Uh, and so the, the, the idea of destroying stars um, was unceremoniously uh, raised and dropped. <laughs> I mean, they raised it and dropped it so quickly. It was like a five-minute chunk of a two-part episode near the end of part two. You know, like I feel like they could have foreshadowed it a little bit. Uh, they could have had Odo uncovering uh, someone procuring these parts, but not knowing who or where the you know. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love the wharf stuff. Uh, I like the overall developments uh, of the, the new alliance. You know, it, it's a neat reordering of things. It, it, it gives you, the fan, the impression that something big has happened because, of course, we've spent the past 10 seasons or so uh, – Going, ooh, Romulan's bad, Cardassian's bad, Klingons don't know about it, but now Klingons hate Romulans, right? But now they're working together. And so it, it's juicy. It sets up lots of juicy things. Yeah, I, I can't overstate how pleased I am that they did not abandon the previous plot threads. Because yeah. they were interesting in and of themselves. Uh, the Klingon war, Cardassian internal politics, all interesting. And I like that they found this really... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Really concise way to reorganize and clarify them. So now everything we've done up to this point, except the yeah, the only plot thread not successfully incorporated into this new bit is Bajoran politics, which, eh, yeah, conversation for another day. It's getting late. Yeah, here. you know, I, like, what the hell was the deal? What was that episode called with the prophecies? Uh, uh, rapture. Rapture. whatever it was called yeah. where Cisco was getting the prophecies about the scarabs and how joining the Federation was going to somehow doom Bajor. It's like, yeah. And we're never going to talk about that again. Like, <laughs> did this have something to do with it? What? I don't know. Yeah. But that's really not this episode's fault. And there certainly wasn't space for it. I would say, I mean, they so quickly, you know, skimmed over several other plot points that could have been very interesting. Uh, they, they certainly didn't have time to throw Kai Wen in the mix and, you know, yeah. talk about how Bajor figures into it. Um, you know, I think the writing's a four. You know, it's solid and even above average, but to me, you know, doesn't approach the heights of a yesterday's Enterprise, you know. Uh, you know, something that's so tight with so few glaring flaws. Um, I think it's very good. Yeah, I would say between, a, like, yeah, yeah, four, maybe a little more than a four, not quite a five on its own. Um, the acting, I think, was, was really good. It, it, I think Garrick's best scenes in terms of writing were in the first half. Like, the scene yeah. with Tane was just amazing. Yes. Um... I liked everyone's work. Everyone did a good job. I think uh, Cisco kept it ominous and not shouty. Um, I liked the Ducat stuff, top to bottom. Um, yeah, there were no scenes that were going to be transcendently good. You know, there were no great scenes for anybody, but it was just 44 minutes of good scenes. Yeah. There were certainly no bad scenes. Um, and so the actors did what they needed to do um to me you know Dorn is the standout yeah uh, you that know was I think really he, good work. 
portrayed uh, the weariness, but also the the, the chutzpah um, really well. Um, and of course, it's always enjoyable to see J.G. Hertzler chewing the scenery. Um, yeah, like you say, you know, being kind of Shakespearean. Um, nice to see Robert O'Reilly again. Um, you know, at, you're not going to have a very bad episode if you throw Mark Alamo, Robert O'Reilly, J.G. Hertzler, and Andrew Robinson in there. You know, it's probably going to work. Yeah. As long as it's not a mirror show, it's probably going to work. Yeah, yeah. No mirror shows. Uh, mirror <laughs> shows. Um, production values, the things we liked in the last episode, they're they're here to like again. Uh, the prison is still the prison. Uh, the fleet scenes are the fleet scenes. I I tend to... I, I, I do grade effects on the curve a little bit. I think they did the most with the technology available. No, I, I applaud the ambition. Uh, it They just, when you try something that ambitious, sometimes it doesn't hold up. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if they had been a little more conservative, maybe it would hold up. But they, sh- they shouldn't be conservative. If they've got giant fleets, they've got giant fleets. They, they got to do what they got to do. So, sure. You know, it, it's not something I'm going to, you know, downgrade an episode for, certainly. And uh, I, I like the camera work and the makeup work and the stunt work of the fight scenes. They they had mm-hmm. a qual. I think you, you, you said it, like, they, they really had a vicious quality that's lacking in a lot of uh, Star Trek fist fights. So. so many fights are bloodless. And even if they have blood, it's very stage blood. You know, it's they're, yeah, they're without visceral impact, you know. And these fights felt visceral and real and raw uh, and violent. You know, this is really one of the more violent, physically yeah. violent yeah, episodes. Yeah. Uh, right. And I, I think that served the story and was done well. All right. So in the balance, uh, I'm going to go with another five. I, I think everything hums and has energy and movement and is such is a is a very 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 satisfying resolution to the setup in part one and on a broader scope uh, this episode uh, and it's part of the two-parter ranks for me uh up there with improbable cause and dies cast where it's like holy shit that was awesome why don't we do this all the time yeah there's an element of the refocus it successfully gives the series is so great that I think that um, nudges the episode into a five for me. Well, I'm, I'm still with a four. Um, I I, I kind of have a feeling of narrative blue balls a little bit. You know, it, like it sets up a lot of cool things, but it doesn't pay them off right just yet. You know, Um to me, this isn't as good as something like uh, Homefront Paradise Lost. You know, like that had a big idea. And this doesn't have as much of a big idea. You know, this is like, and now we're setting up lots of cool stuff that will happen. You know, hooray. And I, I feel the hooray. You know, like, I feel good about it. I like it. Um, I just don't love it. You know, it doesn't. There was a lot of cool stuff, especially the Cardassians uh, going with the Dominion. You know, cool. Yeah, I just... There... It might have been better had they actually destroyed a star system and then had Federation uh, worlds breaking away, you know? And I don't know if they could do that so quickly within one episode, but I think there's a way to do it. And, you know, that having it be a threat, not physically to the Federation, but you know, to the mentality, to the ideology of the Federation. You know, saying that just now reminds me of, uh, God, what's the episode? Um, with Worf on Risa. Oh, um, let he who's without sin. Yeah. You know, that seemed like such a half-hearted attempt to point to dissension within the Federation you know, that there were people who thought they were going down the wrong path, that this would have been a really good opportunity to kind of fracture the ideological unity of the Federation and to, to have worlds actually splinter 
to elect to go with the Dominion. You know, it it would be dramatic in the way that uh, right now the whole Ukraine situation is dramatic. You've got cities that want to join Russia and cities that want to stay, and you know, have you know, heaven willing, things won't get bad. But you can see the inherent drama in such a situation. Um, you know, the Maquis should join the Dominion or something, right? It's like the Dominion should promise the Maquis something at the same time as they promise the, the Cardassians. I don't know. There's so many interesting story opportunities. Um, they're just not in this story, you know? This story does the setup work, and it's good setup work, and I enjoy it. Um, but it, it doesn't... I don't find it as satisfying as you do. I'm like, okay, what next? You know, I don't feel like, wow, that was amazing and I need nothing else. You know, after yesterday's enterprise, it was like, that's all you need, right? There's nothing you can do beyond that. You know, uh, here it's like, okay, they've set up good stuff. We'll see where it goes. And to me, that's a four. Right. Um, I, I get that. Uh, I just there was a sense of like just uh, there, there were a few nagging artificialities yeah. also like, that dragged it down. A bit. Like just uh, Ducat scene in the trailer, like like both Ducat scenes, like that the the bookends of the episode were like holy shit, shit is happening. And certainly, finally, um, that I just I just found this episode both as the second half of a two-parter and as a clear refocusing of the season and series in general to be so dramatically satisfying and energizing that uh, I don't think it's I almost, it's not reasonable for me to expect the episode to do any more than it did in terms of entertaining me. Um, so, uh, But I, I think a 9 is not an inaccurate score. 9, nine out of 10 uh, doesn't, doesn't bother me rhetorically. Well, I you know I don't want to give fives out willy nilly, right? You know I want them to be really special. This is like, this is great, but I don't know if it teaches me anything. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it changes my view of humanity. It it didn't expand my mind in any way. You know, like I'm gonna make a Battlestar reference, but when you know when Ron Moore had the humans be the terrorists and have us root for them. Like that expands your mind to watch it. You know, it's like, Whoa, I think differently now, you know, this, this doesn't do that. You know, like if they had had Federation worlds join the dominion and have us agree with their decision, that would have been interesting. Uh, Anyhow, or even even the Cardassians, you know, had they shown the poverty on Cardassia and have us agree with Dukat, you know, they could have done more on that that angle. Um, you know, when does it actually make sense to become part of a dictatorship? Um, anyhow, a, a four is great. A four is top twenty five percent. You know, I think that's this is definitely there. Um, yeah. I think nine's good. You know, I'm going to give out more fives for Deep Space Nine. I know better stuff is coming. Maybe that's coloring my view a little bit. You know, I know really good stuff is coming. Uh, so we'll see. All right. Well, that's a nine out of ten for By Inferno's Light. And uh, certainly, regardless of uh, the nitpicking over the numerical score, we both thoroughly enjoyed this episode and hope you did the same because it's just fun to watch just uh yeah deep space nine has finally gotten over the hump (laughs) well it it was a many-pronged hump we thought it we thought we had turned the corner several times prior to this but then realized that you know this hump was was much much more gnarly than we thought uh but i think we're over it now completely yeah even if there are episodes that i do not like coming up like uh prophet and lace emperor's new cloak I don't think we ever hit a doldrums again, like a sense of, like, or t- like a ten or twelve episode stretch. Right? What like, are we what doing? Happened? Yeah. Like, even if you don't like the idea of a sustained Federation at war story, the first six episodes of season six are fucking interesting. Yeah. Stuff happens in them. 
characters change in them. They are challenged. Even if you don't think, if you, even if the resolutions may be a little too neat, fine. That's a criticism. But still, there is there is life and interest and acting and things. So yeah, there's never there's never a point in the show where you're like. Wow, did they just dust off a bunch of season two shows or something? Yes, yes, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it, we have definitely hit the stretch of episodes where I can stop having to so furiously justify my love of Deep Space Nine to even my Trekkie friends. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, no, this is what I was talking about. You have to get through it to build the groundwork to get to here, and it's much, and it's enjoyable. So, yeah. All right, well... Uh, We will see you here uh, at the next podcast, and uh, have a good night, everyone. Yes. uh, Keep watching this, guys.